welcome to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, co-hosted by yours truly, Kate Richardson and Megan Pachekai. We're two registered dietitians here to make your life easier by debunking diet myths, sharing scientific information about nutrition, and keeping you motivated to reach your goals. We want to teach you everything we know by giving you real life examples of how we've helped our combined thousands of clients transform their lives, lose weight, and get healthy without having to go on another cookie cutter diet. On this podcast, we'll be giving you our best advice, strategies, and mindset shifts so you too can reach your goals using food and most importantly, enjoy the process. There are starving kids in China. You would be ungrateful not to finish everything on your plate. You are not getting up from this table until you eat everything. If you don't eat all of your broccoli, you're not getting dessert. Today, we're going to be talking about things you should not say to your kids about food and give you some tips on how to talk to your kids and teenagers about food so that they don't grow up with the same issues that you might have had as a young adult. So we see the other side of this. A lot of times we see clients who are well into their adulthood that, you know, when we kind of ask them like, hey, what was your relationship with food like at home or what was your parents' relationship with food like? And there's a lot of times a lot of baggage there that they are carrying into adulthood that has kind of shaped the way that they see food and their relationship with food. And what we want to do with this podcast is to try to help parents navigate that and try not to give them a reason for an eating disorder (laughs) later on in life. And I'm really excited to talk to you about this today because if you're a listener and you don't know us or you're not familiar with us, Megan, you have a baby. And Mm -hmm. so I'm sure you've thought about this more than I have on how you are going to model a good relationship with healthy eating and food with your son. Definitely. And one of the main things that I see is, especially with mother-daughter relationships, if you are modeling, like, you're looking in the mirror and you're like, oh, my legs are so fat, or my pants don't fit, or oh, I shouldn't have eaten that, or I shouldn't have eaten so much, or you're guilting yourself all the time, and your kid sees that, even if they're a little kid, they pick up things all the time, and so they're like, and they want to be like mom, and so if mom doesn't like her thighs, then she's going to start looking at her thighs to say, like, are my thighs too big too? Or maybe she's just modeling your behavior of like, look at my, pinching her thighs. Mm -hmm. Like that's, those are the things that you want to be really mindful of because kids will pick up on those habits and how you feel about yourself and project it onto themselves. A thousand percent. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of moms do the right thing where they make sure that they never criticize their child directly. They never say anything to their daughter about what they're wearing or their weight or their appetite. I know that was the case for me growing up. My mom, I can't ever think of one time where she ever made me feel bad about my appearance or my body or anything like that, but I would watch her eat differently than me and my dad, and I remember when we would compliment her or I would, you know, say things that little kids do to their mom, like, oh, you're so beautiful, mom, like all these things. She would never accept the compliment, Mm -hmm. and it would always, I I mean, I can vividly remember scenarios where I would tell my mom how beautiful I thought she was, and she would make comments about of deflecting the compliment, mm-hmm. compliment essentially. And it usually revolves around body image. 
and I'd watch her diet and read diet books and we always had like her special diet foods in the pantry and I'd want to eat them too because they were like Weight Watchers cakes and like Atkins bars covered in chocolate and she liked them and I learned from a really young age about dieting and food just from watching her even though she never said anything to me or nobody ever said anything to me about my body. Yeah I think it's a big thing to keep in mind too is those behaviors that you're modeling so even I've had so many clients say to me, you know, my first experience with a diet was like when I was 11 or 12 or 13 and my mom was doing Weight Watchers. So I did it with her. Even if the kid wasn't overweight, if they were a perfect weight, they did Weight Watchers with their parent. And so then that starts that relationship with food that is me versus food. Mm -hmm. I have to fight food or I have to restrict food. And then that puts that kind of moral morality over top of it of like, I'm being good if I'm sticking within these certain parameters or if I'm counting my points or if I'm eating less or if I'm choosing the chicken breast over the beef or whatever it is. It starts that kind of like morality of food, good versus bad, instead of it being like, this is something that's part of my life every day and I have to figure out what makes me feel my best. It's no, this is bad, and I'm being bad if I'm eating this thing. Mm-hmm. And it almost makes the child maybe subconsciously feel bad if they're doing something differently than what mom or dad is doing. So if mom's dieting and she's good because she followed this specific rule on her diet, and then the child's eating, you know, I guess a standard child's diet or maybe what other family members are eating, they might feel kind of bad or guilty or shameful about what they're eating and then start to develop other complexes around food. And the same thing could go for exercise. And it also, I've seen it go the exact opposite direction where I have a client come in who's in poor health and, you know, 50, 60 pounds overweight and not feeling good about themselves and low on their confidence. And they grew up in a household where everything that was modeled for them was super healthy and Mm -hmm. they use it as kind of a rebellion of when they are finally able to make their own food decisions or they could drive to McDonald's and the parents like you know I did my best to try to give them the best nutritious foods but then you're still not giving them a choice and because they never had a choice they use that as a rebellion to kind of eat whatever and then they go off to college and then they don't know how to manage also having those more indulgent foods in their lives. Also me. <laughs> I feel like I have part of that too. Growing up around, we never had like snack foods in the house besides my dad's Cheez-Its. We never had soda. We rarely had chips. We didn't have that kind of stuff. So when even as a teenager, when I'd go to my friend's houses, I remember my best friend in middle school or high school, one time her parents made like a comment on how like, Kate keeps coming over here and eating all of her snacks. <laughs> It was, I remember being like, I felt so much shame about it Mm -hmm. too, because I was like, oh yeah, like yeah, we come home and we eat all the good food that I don't have at my house and I wouldn't just have a bowl of Cheez-Its or something, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. I would eat a lot more than other people and I was hyper-conscious about what I was eating Mm -hmm. because all these foods were bad in my house and that's not to say a parent should just keep a bunch of junk food in their house. I mean, there's some people that have subscribed to that thought. If junk food's around, then it's less exciting and in some cases I agree, but if your family is keeping healthy things stocked, you shouldn't be poo-pooing on any other foods that might be at 
your kid's friend's house or school. Yeah, I think the best thing is, like, having a relaxed environment Mm -hmm. around food and not having something with that is so rigid. Like, if you don't eat all your vegetable, then you can't have Mm -hmm. dessert. Like, having specific rules around food only makes kids want to rebel or later in life they still think about it in in those terms like I don't deserve mm-hmm. a dessert unless I have mm-hmm. worked out five times this week or whatever that is that they put the rule on themselves at that point or if it's a special occasion right or it's like oh I can only have cake on my birthday and then when it is my birthday I'm gonna eat way more cake and feel uncomfortable and then feel guilty about it mm-hmm. so if you're only using food or quote-unquote bad junk food however you describe it in your house for celebratory occasions or emotionally linked connections that can also cause an issue. Mm-hmm. For instance, I had one client tell me about how her mom would be this health nut all the time to the point where it was extreme. The mom, just from what I understood, had orthorexia, which is a term that just describes somebody who has a fixation on clean eating or dieting, eating healthy, etc. But when the mom would go through issues with her boyfriend, and she had a lot of issues with the boyfriend, is I guess what I gathered, then she would include her daughters with her to eat a bunch of junk food and then just the next day talk about how bad it was and like throw it all out and kind of like do this whole ritualistic thing where they would go and binge eat and then the next day clean house. And so growing up, the client that I had, her, uh, she would repeat that pattern just all of the time. So any kind of stress that she felt, she would binge eat and it was causing her a lot of discomfort in her life. And she knew exactly that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, sometimes our clients don't even recognize these things until we're actually asking mm-hmm. it, asking them these questions. Yeah. And if they find that, you know, they're there's guilt around eating certain things it's like going back to childhood to see like where did that start or going back to high school like where did that start was it like a boyfriend Mm -hmm. that shamed you for like eating a certain way or was it a certain family member that shamed you for eating a certain way and knowing that all of these food interactions and body interactions that you're having when you're younger they really do shape you into adulthood a thousand percent you know one thing that was really interesting and when we were discussing about what we wanted to talk about today on the podcast, Megan asked me, she's like, well, what's like an interesting story that you've had lately to help spark some conversation that's relevant? And I thought of this client I had, and she's a teenager and lives at home, and she lives in an environment that's very tense, and we've talked about on the podcast before about the mood that you're in when you're eating is really important for digestion, it's important for self-regulation on what you eat or how much you eat. Um, If you feel like you're in a stressful, tense environment where you're under a threat, you might eat really quickly or you might not make healthy decisions. And so she lives in an environment where her mom is consistently nitpicking her food choices. Doesn't matter what she's eating, except maybe fruit or something. So even if they're eating a family meal together, her mom will find some way to make a jab at what she's eating. So whether mom made the taco night, if the daughter is eating too much or using too much of a specific ingredient, the mom will always find a way to make a comment. Or the daughter mentioned to me when she would be relaxing in the living room and she'd be eating uh, you know, a snack food that the mom deemed unhealthy yet still was keeping in the house, which is very confusing for the girl, Uh, she would make a comment to her, some kind of passive aggressive comment like, are you sure you should be eating that? Don't you want to get up and go outside? Just making something 
out of nothing. And so she constantly... Yeah, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. <laughs> and she said she feels under threat all the time. So she does a lot of sneak eating. Mm-hmm. She rushes through her meals and overeats things because she never knows when her mom's going to like come out of the shadows and just take jabs at her. Mm-hmm. And so she doesn't feel comfortable eating much around her mom at all. And so that makes a really stressful environment for a teenager who doesn't have the option of leaving. Yeah, that sucks. It sucks a lot. And so we had talked about it, like, well, you know, one of the solutions that she had was, well, I think I might just go eat in my room where the door's closed mm-hmm. and locked and I don't have to rush. And she's like, yeah, it's not the most comfortable thing, but it's where the only place in the house I can relax. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, like, this is if you have kids and you're thinking about how you're helping them form their relationship with food, it's a really good time for you to look at yourself and your relationship with food and your body as mm-hmm. well and kind of examining that and realizing what you might be projecting for that person. And, well, this is a little bit off topic, but kind of relevant since I'm into the, like, baby-led weaning world right now and, like, listening to all the podcasts and reading the books and all that kind of stuff. So baby-led weaning is when you're feeding your baby, like, finger foods that they can pick up and eat as opposed to, like, purees or baby foods. And it seems like all of the people that I'm following and in this world, they're very against, like, don't feed your baby anything with added sugar. Don't feed your baby anything with added sodium because they can't handle the added sodium and they don't need the extra sugar and blah, blah, blah. And, like, you should feed them lots of vegetables and it's all, like, everything should be organic and everything should be, it's just, like, there's so many rules around this and, like, you can only, I feel like, especially first-time moms, they feel like they have to make all their baby food from scratch and it's, like, this super stressful process yeah and the other day like on our um instagram like i always post videos of liam eating new foods and he was eating a pot pie the other day from seven bites and i didn't want to post it because i was like oh like this has a lot of added sodium and like cream and butter and all this stuff and like what are all these people gonna think i'm feeding my kid a pot pie and like he's had bread pudding and ice cream and chocolate and all like I want him to have all the things that are available to me I don't want to just keep him to like strict fruits and vegetables and yogurt with no sugar or anything like that because I want him to be a dynamic individual who makes choices about foods like yeah I understand he's a little kid he's going to choose the thing that's probably the sweetest at this point but I'm still going to provide him with good foods and then also foods that are for enjoyment and I don't want it to be that dress surrounding like oh my god it's dessert like you can only have two bites of this or we can only have this on Fridays like if mom's eating a couple bites of bread pudding like I want my kid to be able to do that too I observe my friends who I think have the healthiest relationships with food and healthy body weights and healthy lifestyles and they're never the ones who are obsessed with how much sugar is in something Mm -hmm. they're never the ones who make comments about something and you never really know if they're going to eat something or not because they're just going based on how they feel or if they actually want it like sometimes my friend who has literally no complexes with food zero issues i'll watch her and sometimes she'll want dessert and she'll be like oh yeah let's get ice cream and sometimes she'll be like yeah i'm kind of full yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, ice cream's always yes. <laughs> and then I think I'm like, she's never had an issue with that. And when you're talking about Liam and how you're giving him all of the options, I think about just what I know about this friend and food was just sweets and, and all the chips and all the savory things were always options available. Mm-hmm. The family just ate healthy meals. I think it gives you the ability to 
decide how a food makes you feel. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said with her, like, she has the ability to say, like, you know what, when I eat ice cream after I've already had a pretty big meal, like, it doesn't make me feel great. So, Mm -hmm. I don't have to take this opportunity because I know ice cream will always be available. Versus living in a household where ice cream is never available, it's only on a very special occasion, or you have to do something in order to get ice cream, it gives you this complex Mm -hmm. that every time ice cream is available, I have to go get it. Yeah, exactly what it is. And I just had a thought and it escaped me. Oh, I I think when you live in an environment where you don't go based on feelings, you go based on rules, you really do lose touch of how to tap into that part of your brain. I was listening to some studies this morning about neuroplasticity, and that just is a, a terminology that means your brain is most plastic or most moldable at certain points of your life. And infancy and young childhood and young adulthood is when your brain is so neuroplastic and it starts to become wired in a certain way. You can rewire it and unwire it and you basically have more creativity with how somebody thinks. You have Mm -hmm. more control on how somebody thinks. So when you talk about how important it is as a baby, an infant, whose mind is just now being molded all the way through adolescence... When you start to put rules on food, it becomes much harder to unlearn those rules as that individual grows older. Once they hit that middle 20s, early 30s range, it's so much harder to unlearn healthy, unhealthy food uh, complexes. Not impossible. I mean, we help people do it all the time. It's just a lot harder. And I think this is where the parent has to be really responsible in recognizing that that kid's a little sponge and they're going to absorb and take in information at a way quicker rate. And you can either do that in a very proactive way or you can set them up for maybe some issues later down the road if you're modeling or speaking in a way that's unfavorable. The token example is the Clean Your Plate Club, like eat everything that's on your plate. And a lot of people grew up that way and, you know, they're in their 50s and 60s and they still have a hard time not just eating everything that's on your plate. And the problem with that is, is that you're discounting all of the cues that your body is sending you. Mm -hmm. So you're not asking yourself, am I actually full right now when I only ate half the plate? Or do I actually need more of this right now? You're not asking yourself that it's just whatever's on your plate, you're going to eat it. And when you teach your kid that that's the correct and moral thing to do, they don't get to tap into those cues either, Mm. their hunger and satiety cues. You actually want them to tap into those things. And sometimes, you know, you're going to put food in front of your kid and they're not going to eat it. And that's okay. It's okay. It's okay because eventually they'll get hungry. And when they're hungry, they'll eat. They'll eat. I think this becomes a real challenge for, I'm thinking of a few parents I've had, who talk about their picky eaters, kids who just have that kid diet where they want chicken fingers, fries, pizza, ice cream, Mm -hmm. and they don't want to try new foods, they're not open to it, and the parent who is meaning well, they want their kid to eat a variety of healthy foods, they feel probably kind of bad that the child is only eating fried foods or high sugar foods, start to push a lot of things on kids and Mm -hmm. say like, okay, you need to be eating, you need to do this, because it it kind of like checks a box for the parent. Like, oh, I'm a good parent, my kid's eating vegetables. But I think that does more harm than good for a child when you start to force them to eat a bunch of healthy things, going back, not healthy things, but things they don't want to eat. Mm -hmm. It Going back to that rebellious spirit that you were talking about, if this child lives in an environment where they're constantly being watched and pressured to do certain things they don't want to do, they're going to rebel. 
kind of like those kids you hear that grow up in really, really religious environments and then they mm-hmm. graduate and they're off living a sinful life or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. The same thing can be done with food. And so whenever I get a parent who just asks me questions about the picky eater, I mean, we, we talk in depth about it, but one of the things is don't ever force your kid to eat anything. Don't ever say they're good or bad for eating something. Mm-hmm. Just model. Yeah. And there's keep a, presenting it. There's a concept that's like the division of responsibility. Yeah. And so I think I think it's the parents. I think the way that it goes is the parents' responsibility is what they're going to eat or in terms of like what you're going to serve to them, how and the environment mm-hmm. and when. I don't think it's when. I think, yeah, yeah, it is when. So it's, it's like what you're providing them, when and where they're eating mm-hmm. it. And the kid decides but everything else. The kid decides, like, if they're going to eat mm-hmm. at all and how much they're going to eat mm-hmm. at all. So, like, your responsibility ends at providing them food in a safe environment at a specific time. And yep. then your responsibility ends. And now it's the child's responsibility to decide if they're going to eat and how much of it they're going to eat. And hearing that for me, I think that kind of, like, alleviates some pressure to be like, okay, now it's his responsibility. Like, I provided him with tomatoes, watermelon, and a yogurt pouch. He gets to decide how much of this he's going to eat or if he's going to eat it at all. Yeah, it's really nice. It okay. takes a lot of pressure off. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some things that we would recommend parents of any age. Maybe we could start with adolescents because I think that's what we get a lot of questions about because we get adolescents and young adults coming in a lot. What would be some good things to model or things to talk about that would promote healthy eating behaviors? I think one of the things is is not necessarily tying your worth and how you feel about yourself to uh, weight on mm-hmm. the scale. Because I think from the time that you're a baby, you're graded based on your weight. So when you're a baby, you go in and you're like, okay, like, where is he on the scale of weight? Is he, like, 90th percentile? Whatever. And that continues all the way up into adulthood. The very first thing you do when you walk into the doctor is they weigh you and they assess you based on your weight. So because our medical model is, like, that's how that works, if at home you can try and untie those things. So that number on the scale isn't how you measure your worth. That number on the scale is tied to this, 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 and this. It's not just the fat that's on your body. It's Mm. how much water you drank the day before. It's if you went to the bathroom the day before. It's, I remember like being in third grade and they put us in line. Yes, I was thinking that too. And they, like everyone in the class had to go up and weigh themselves. And then of course the girls are like comparing what their weights were. And then there was one girl who was super tall and she weighed the most out of anyone in the class. Um, Hi, hello, it's me. (laughs) And she was like mortified that she weighed more than the boys. And it's insane that we do that stuff to our kids. So it's like really talking about like what the scale actually is measuring and that it's not a measurement of who you are as a person of your self-worth. It's just a measurement of your bones and your eyeballs and your hair and like all of these things. And it's going to change throughout adolescence. And especially like, you know, for girls, when you're seventh, eighth, ninth grade, like you're going to be gaining weight because you're going through puberty and just being really open and honest about like what the scale actually is. And if, you should be getting on it and like also kind of discounting what a doctor is going to see. I've had plenty of girls come in that are either in that like college age or high school age where a doctor has made remarks about their weight and it's like you're fine. It's always some like fat old man too, I'm just being honest. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I'm trying to, when you were talking about the line thing, I started to have a flashback, PTSD, if you will. And I think, what would I want an adult to say to me if I was that girl again who mm-hmm. was like being weighed in front of people or feeling guilty about that because I was just going through, I was just a taller girl. I remember being like the second tallest girl in the fifth grade class, and the other girl was like clearly a lot bigger. Like I was still very normal size, but I was just going through growth so much faster and I'd want someone to really celebrate that to me and if I felt bad about it I'd want them to just like hype me up they'd be like oh my god you're like the tallest girl that's so awesome that gives you such an edge at sports that makes you stronger like you're becoming a woman I would just want a positive spin on that or I'd want very little emphasis on it at all like just a few little celebratory like heck yeah like you're the tallest girl in school like no wonder you're kicking butt in your basketball team Mm -hmm. and that's it Like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want there to be dwellings over it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one thing that's really helpful, too, to help with kids and teenagers is instead of talking to them about weight or food, is asking them questions and being a really curious parent or guardian. So if your kid is eating something... I don't know, new food or clearly is eating a large amount of something that you know is probably not going to make them feel very good. Instead of saying like, how, you know, you shouldn't be eating all that sugar. You're going to get a stomach ache after the fact, encouraging them to reflect by asking questions. Mm-hmm. So Tommy, I, I noticed you ate a lot of cake. How do you feel? Like, that, How do you feel for that birthday? How's your stomach feeling? And then just getting them to talk about it. And if they yeah. feel fine, if they feel great, trust them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just be like, all right. Mm-hmm. Cool. It looked delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it. Like, don't make comments about yourself. Don't make comments how you would never do that, how you have issues with that. Just, like, ask questions, and then that's it. And even things like, oh, that's so sweet, or, like, mm-hmm. oh, that's so much sugar. There's so much sugar in that. Like, when they're eating their fun dip that's, like, straight-up sugar, like, don't. Yeah. Just let them enjoy it. Let them enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, they're kids. <laughs> oh, I can never eat that. That's so sweet. Oh, it's disgusting. Like, no, just... <laughs> Just let them enjoy it. Yeah, and if, you know, they ask why you're not eating it, you can just say, like, oh, I like other things better. Yeah. Like, you don't make a big deal, but don't, like, poo-poo on it, like, oh, no, I, I don't do that. You know mommy doesn't eat that kind of thing. Like, don't make any comments. Whether you're following some kind of nutrition or plan or not, leave your kid out of it as much as possible and just eat normally. And if they have questions about what you're eating, then you could answer it, but would be really really mindful about those kinds of things if you're somebody who has a food complex or food issues just being extra careful not to project those things yeah I noticed that sometimes I project things onto people because of my own food issues and I that's something that when I think about having a kid that's like one of my biggest fears it's like oh my gosh what if me being a dietitian and my whole history with food that I've talked about here how am I going to make sure my kid doesn't absorb that? Because as a dietitian talking to clients, it's really easy for me not to project more often than not. I'm sure everyone does it because we're humans. Or if I find a similarity with a client, I'll be, I'm not trying to share my own, my own similar struggles with them. But I'm just wondering, like, what am I doing? Maybe that's unknowing that when I have a daughter or son that they're going to see me doing. So that's one of my biggest fears. Well, I think you're already light years ahead because you're conscious of it. True. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think that's honestly the biggest thing is being conscious of your relationship with food, your relationship with your body, and when your kid is watching. I do call my dog a fat ass sometimes, though. Because <laughs> he is, <laughs> in the best way. <laughs> what if I'm projecting some unhealthy... You, 
you. Maybe that's why he eats whole loaves of bread off Exactly, my because he's like, my mom never gives me a chance, so, like, any chance that I have, I'm gonna grab this. Freaking lie. <laughs> I think I eat kind of meat too much. You probably feed him that organic food all the time. Yeah, I know. He's got, he's got he's issues. Like, Just give me the fries, mom. <laughs> yeah, he's got fat-ass tendencies, is what I say. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll have to course correct. What, what else? What other things would you recommend parents do? We've mentioned asking questions, being more curious about what your kids and letting them come to their own conclusions, letting them become self-aware, and then not putting such a weight on weight. Mm-hmm. I, food as a reward, Yeah, it's a tough one. And I know like with where I am right now, sometimes I'm like, I just want to hand you a cheese stick. So you just, <laughs> so you just shut up for a little bit. Um, but food as a reward is something that is, is learned and learned all the way into adulthood. So if you make it through a hard day, at the end of the day, your reward is going through a drive through That's something that's learned when you're a little kid. Yeah, food is a reward. Taking away food is punishment. I hope people aren't doing that. I'm sure that yeah. happens, though. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get dessert if you're bad. Mm-hmm. Also, like, having a drawer of, like, mommy's foods. Mm. <laughs> or, like, these foods are only for mommy, like... That's just, that creates, like, that dynamic of, like, ooh, the mysticism of these foods. One thing I would love for my kids to hopefully get involved in is cooking or gardening or something, like, chopping. Like, getting them involved in the process. them in the kitchen, yeah. Like, I want my kids to really love and appreciate food because I don't think I really got that as a kid. Mm -hmm. And then I had to, I just luckily kind of stumbled into that as an adult, like, really loving to cook and think about food and make get creative with recipes. I think that cooking and food preparation is a wonderful creative outlet that just gets people back to, I know this sounds weird, but like primal roots mm-hmm. of like being a human, creating something, touching a food, appreciating it, knowing where it's coming from. And I think that's one of the healthiest things that you can do with your children is getting them to appreciate food so that they don't become over consumers and they don't become absent-minded consumers. There's a couple of things that I've actually learned from clients that I've thought, like, I really want to incorporate this into my family at some point. Um, one of them was, like, every week on, like, a Wednesday, mm. it's the kids' responsibilities to provide them with dinner. Mm. So whether that is, like, starting really young and you're just helping them kind of plan out a menu and then you're the one going to get the food and they're helping you to prep it and things like that until they get to a little bit older where they're making all the decisions. So the decision is there. So whether they want to, like, go to Wendy's drive-thru and bring that home, like, that's their decision, or they want to make some kind of elaborate meal, it's totally up to them. They have to provide a meal for every single person in the family. Brilliant. I really like that. And then the other thing that I I love this concept of, I think they called it cookie Fridays. So the mom would make like fresh chocolate chip cookies every Friday and invite the kids and all their friends over on Friday after school. And she was like, it's the best way to figure out what's going on in your kids' lives because you're in the kitchen and you're just bringing out the cookies and setting them on the table and all the kids are just sitting there together eating the cookies and you're learning about like what's going on at school and this person's dating this person and they had three kids and they were all different ages so it was like a great way to just get all of them together at one time sneaky mom brilliant love that and i think that's so nice too because we forget one of the most valuable parts about food or roles that food plays in our life is that ritualistic traditional aspect i mean we always think about health and taste and now especially convenience but how fun is that for the kids to look back and be like, yeah, my mom was 
awesome. She cooked cookies for everybody mm-hmm. on Fridays, and we all got to hang out. Like, that's a really nice thing to tie to a food that's so demonized. Yeah, and she would even be like, like, oh, okay, like, when are we going to meet again? She'd be like, oh, I can't, like, that's Cookie Friday, so we have to do it different. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's that. awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's great, Cookie Friday, or just something, I'm thinking of this one influencer I follow on Instagram, and every Tuesday night, they would go to these local establishments and get ingredients to make pizza, and they would get like the fresh dough, and then they would go to the farmer's market, and they would go to the grocery store, and the kids got to get creative and create their own pizza, and pick a movie, and they had like a hat that they decorated that, um, I can't remember if they did something, but one of the four kids got to decorate the hat or wear the hat, and pick something, like pick the movie, mm-hmm. and it had to do around pizza, and they'd make the pizza at home, it was always homemade, and they got to personalize it, and I thought that was a really cool thing too, because again, it's just another food that probably has a, a negative connotation especially just from what I observe, moms these days put more emphasis on health than I think my parents' generation did. Mm -hmm. We were eating like Doritos and Stouffer's lasagna, which is fine, we got by. But I don't think many people are doing that anymore and and they're poo-pooing all over those kinds of foods. But why not just get your kid involved in making those things? Yeah, so thinking about like you're creating memories with these food experiences Mm -hmm. too. And so when your kid looks back on... Like, if they ever did see a dietitian and imagine them being asked, like, what was your relationship with food like growing up? Like, what were the experiences that you want them to remember and provide? That just struck a chord with me, Megan. It's like, when, yeah, how do you want your kid to answer that question? And if I ask this a lot, what was your same-sex parent or guardian's relationship with food like? Mm Mm-hmm. And what would you want your kid to say? Like, would you yeah. want you to say, like, my mom was neurotic. She was constantly grabbing her stomach in the mirror and making Always comments. on a diet. Yeah, it's like, oh. No, you don't want that to be the thing that your kid is going to say about you. One of my best friends growing up, her mom was neurotic in the best way. Like, one of those people that's just, like, so loony, you love them. And she had this obsession with this home workout video called Turbo Jam. And she was always talking about the main lady's body, constantly working out in their basement. And so what me and my friend did all the time was work out in her basement and do all of these workout videos because her mom would not stop talking about it. And I remember I'd be so obsessive over working out and doing these Turbo Jam videos. I'd be like at recess doing them because it was like fifth grade, <laughs> all the way through middle school, like constantly obsessing over working out. And when I think of her mom, even though I like that was my second home, all I think about was how crazy she was and how much workout video she did. And I don't want to be that reflection of like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, Mrs. Richardson, she's always talking about all these things and obsessing and she's crazy. All she does is work out. Like, no, I want to be like a cool person. Mm-hmm. Talk about a lot. It's got deep. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a subject that gets brought up a lot in our office. And it's like one of those things where if we could get to you before this is happening, it would save us a lot of work down the road. One archetype of a person that I want to mention, and I think you might see this a lot, are the people, the clients that we come in, that we have come in who are overachievers, perfectionists. Mm -hmm. They just kick butt in all areas of their life. 
a lot of women, especially women, like oldest daughter syndrome, I think is what we hear a lot of these girls that took on a lot of responsibility and they always were like the perfect good little girl. And a lot of those things would also happen in around the dinner table. So as kids, they were expected to get good grades and be perfect and they're high strung and they're stressed out. And then as kids, they would use food to cope from all the stress that perhaps their parents were putting on them from doing all these extracurriculars and getting good grades and trying to compete for colleges that they had no free time to unwind and relax and food became the only thing that they used to kind of like distress. Mm-hmm. I've had at least three or four girls who are that kind of archetype who struggle with food because it's their only outlet so they'll binge eat at night after being stressed and I think that's just something to be mindful of if you have a child who really puts themselves to high standards and tries to be perfect all the time that they might have an outlet and for some time I mean food's not the worst thing of all things it could be drugs or alcohol or bad behavior but I do see a lot of binge eating coming out of that mm-hmm. and also to like recognizing the red flags as well so if you notice that regardless of your relationship with food, but if you notice your kid often talking about, like, good or bad foods Mm -hmm. and um, making sure that you aren't bargaining with them about those types of things, but really trying to teach them kind of the science behind food and how it makes you feel Mm -hmm. and those kind of things and not going down the rabbit hole of, like, oh, you know, I notice you're not eating as much as you were before. Like, I will give you this if you just start eating. Yeah. Ooh, you've seen that? Yeah. Oh, I, man. I had one client who her parents told her she was not allowed to go back to Harvard for the next school year unless she gained, like, a certain amount of weight over the summer because they were worried about her. From an outsider's perspective, I gasp. And then the other side of me probably empathizes with the parents because they're so desperate Mm -hmm. for their daughter's well-being. They're Mm -hmm. like, what's the most important thing to her? She's our most important thing. Okay, like, what's the link of the two? Yeah. They need to go back. And, and, I mean... But that's not good, obviously. Right. It's just, man... It was their their only way of feeling like they could get back in control of the situation because they were here in Florida and Harvard's far away Mm -hmm. and they can't monitor what she's eating there. So they thought... Well, while she's home over the summer, like, if we can get her to gain weight, at least she's got a little cushion when she goes back. But really what the what the real issue was was, you know, of course, like, high achiever, perfectionist. Mm-hmm. She's at Harvard. She was going to, like, neuroscience or something like that. I think she was, like, double major in something. And eating wasn't a priority for her because she was so stressed that it was, like, whatever she was eating was then causing GI issues, Mm -hmm. and if she had GI issues, then she had to worry about running to the bathroom during class, and so she would rather just not eat and not have any GI issues and just kind of power through it and drink coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, So for her and for them, it was, like, education about the stress relieving component of it and for her it was alleviating the fear that it was the food that was causing it when really it wasn't a specific food that was causing it it was more her general being of like high stress high anxiety so no matter what she ate was going to cause diarrhea like no matter what it wasn't the actual food to be afraid of because that's in her mind and in most people's minds they correlate it to well I must be allergic to gluten or I'm it must be dairy or it must be this or that every time I eat that I have this symptom 
when really it was just the overall stress that was causing it in the first place. That is so important to talk about, and I think something that parents listening to this who might be concerned about that or might be concerned about that in the future is a trend I've noticed, and you can tell me if this is your experience too, is how talk about digestive issues have become a lot more popular. Mm -hmm. And it's, I keep seeing these things on the internet that say, hot girls have IBS. Like, all the hot girls have stomach problems. Like, that's a thing I'm seeing everywhere. And kids on TikTok and Instagram and social media almost bragging about stomach issues or using digestive issues as a cover-up for disordered eating. Hmm. I see that a lot. The term bloating or having IBS. I can't eat that because I've got IBS. Where back in my day, <laughs> when kids had disordered eating patterns, it was pretty out front. Like, oh, I'm not going to eat that because it's too much sugar. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, I can't eat that because that makes my stomach hurt. I get bloated. Or I have a sensitivity. Yes, a sensitivity. And it's almost new lingo because it's, it's socially acceptable because who is an outsider to argue with somebody's health and body image but you've got all of these kids who are really anxious now the levels of anxiety in teenagers are clearly on the rise we know that anxiety and gastrointestinal issues are linked so it's kind of this whole mess where kids either knowingly or unknowingly or consciously or unconsciously are saying certain foods are triggering IBS or using IBS to avoid certain foods I'm kind of going on a tangent here but I think it's just something for parents to be on the lookout for if you hear your kids all of a sudden having all these stomach issues Mm -hmm. and thinking about like is it actually food do I need to send them down the rabbit hole of getting these sensitivity tests no you don't like I'll just say that in a word we can talk about that in another podcast no you don't but really examining the stress and anxiety surrounding that and if that's why they're having those issues in the first place I have never had, not never, knock on wood, maybe I have, but I can't think of anybody I've ever had come in who just has like a real chill, go with the flow attitude, real relaxed, who also has gastrointestinal issues. Nope. It's always my high-strung, perfectionist, overworked, tired people. Or there's something um, out of their control going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. There's something that they're dealing with. And then there'll be exceptions where it's like a severe medical condition that they've had for a long time. Mm -hmm. But when someone comes in and they have bloating and, or they tell me like, it just feels uncomfortable every time I eat and they can't pinpoint one specific thing, um, like 9.5 out of 10 times that person reports high levels of stress. Yeah. Um, one thing, one little trend that I've seen on the internet that I actually love is, you know, you've seen those things where it's, like, his and hers, and it yeah. shows, like, her food and then his food, and obviously his is always, like, more food, or it's, like, there's a piece of pizza on there and there's not on the girls. Or, like, there's rice and not cauliflower rice. Yes. Like, I love the trend of, like, his and hers, and it's the exact same thing, and I think that's something to model if you have both, like, a daughter and a son to not be, like, oh, you're a growing boy, and, like, he gets to eat whatever, yeah. and then the girl has to, like, eat the salad, and you don't say those types of things to her. Like, girls are growing too girls are going through adolescence too and boys are almost like praised for how much they eat like oh well I've got an 18 year old boy at home like he eats so much where it was like the other side of it if like this 18 year old girl was eating a ton you'd be like oh she just eats so much Mm -hmm. like making sure that you're treating them both in the same way whereas like if one is hungry and wants to eat an entire bag of chips Mm -hmm. like the girl can be too it's okay for her if it's okay for him I think that's so important for like millennial and Gen X parents to hear because the Gen Z's 
it's like eating a lot's cool now and that might be I mean it's a little bit like shocking to me even though I like it at the same time I'm like oh it's like interesting to hear these 16 17 year olds bragging about girls bragging about how much they can eat when just a decade and a half ago it was the complete opposite where yeah. it was like we were all competing to eat the let eat less mm-hmm. so I think it is interesting in making sure that if your son or daughter in a really healthy way is embracing their appetite not to be like stick your nose up at it yeah let it happen let it happen yeah <laughs> I mean there's always going to be exceptions and thresholds I mean if you're worried about somebody binge eating and they're bragging about it or they're really really unhealthy that's maybe where I'd have a bone to pick with that that's probably a deeper issue but if your kid's healthy and normal and happy I don't really know what normal means I always hesitate to use that word but yeah Yeah, I just want to I want to see like if you're going out to dinner with your seventh grade friends like you get to order something too like you don't it was always a thing like oh I'm only gonna get like the chicken Caesar salad like whatever <laughs> yeah. it was and all the guys are eating burgers like normalizing the girl yeah. eating the burger too. I think I've talked about this on this podcast before, but this book by Glennon Doyle, shoot I can't remember what the word the, the book is called. Untamed. Untamed. Yeah, have you read that book? No, I've not read it. Well, it's a little bit. Um, the the book's kind of all over the place, but there's one scene that really sticks out to me where she talks about going into her kids, her sons room and he had a bunch of friends over girls and boys they're all playing video games and the girls were all watching the boys play video games so the guys were all their eyes were all glued to the tv and glennon goes hey guys do you want me to order you a pizza and the guys without thinking were all like yeah or no like just didn't look at each other didn't take their eyes off the screen the girls like telepathically commuted with each other, communicated with each other, and kind of looked at each other and gave little side glances and all kept their mouth shut until somehow just one girl said, nope, we're fine. And (laughs) she thought that was so interesting. That that always stuck out to me because I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how it was. Like, I would have never, as a 13-year-old girl, been like, yeah! Like, if I was around a bunch of boys, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, are we eating pizza? Okay, cool. It's cool. We're eating pizza. All right, yeah. Yeah. So I think that was kind of an interesting uh, comment. So it's a normalized 13-year-old girls eating pizza. Yep. So we'll wrap this podcast up. I, it kind of went all over the place, but I think we had a really good conversation. And, and hopefully if you're listening to this and you're worried about how to talk to your child or teenager about food, that this gave you some really good bits to chew on. I think the biggest points are being mindful of your own projections. If you have issues with food that you don't want to pass on, being really mindful not to practice them yourselves. And so that might mean working on yourself instead of trying to work on your child and their eating habits. So learning how you'd want your child to eat and then doing that yourself, practicing what you preach, if you will. Being curious, supporting your kids' eating habits, not shaming them for anything that they eat or do or don't eat or don't do. Agreed. Anything else you want to add? Nope. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. And if you did find it helpful and want to share it with the whole world, screenshot this episode and tag us on Instagram in your stories at nutrition.awareness so we can connect with you. To get notified about the next episode of Nutrition Awareness, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And to create your own personalized nutrition plan with us, be sure to schedule your virtual or in-person consultation on our website, www.orlandodietitian.com. Now get out there, fuel up, and live your healthiest life. We'll see you on the next episode.